I once heard it said that the spiritual life is a life of developing holy habits. Things to do and things not to do. Well, it seems the Israelites certainly looked at it that way anyway. Because in following the commands of the Lord as revealed by Moses, they were essentially forming religious habits by repeatedly going through different rituals and traditions. What can we learn from that today? Perhaps we can draw some lessons from this practice, both good and bad. And that's what we'll try and do today. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Please join with me today as we look through together at Leviticus chapter 17 and see what it can teach us about developing good practices in living the Christian life. If you're here for the first time, why not consider clicking on that subscribe button and that way you will have made a decision to make this study, the in-depth study of the Bible, part of the rhythm of your daily life. So welcome friends to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Is the religious, the spiritual life, just a life of developing habits, learning things to do and not to do? It seems the Israelites certainly looked at it that way. In following the commands that the Lord gave them, they were essentially forming holy habits, holy practices. Perhaps we can draw lessons from this. Perhaps we can get some good ideas, but also are there some things we should avoid? So today we're going to look into the book of Leviticus chapter 17, where a series of actions are most definitely prescribed for the people. In fact, the book of Leviticus can be divided into two parts. The first part that we've done encompasses the ceremonial laws, which has been given right up to chapter 16, which we finished off yesterday. But now from chapter 17 onwards, it's focused on more on the personal obligations that aspect we now come to in Leviticus and in doing so I'd like to draw our attention to chapter 17. Now I'm going to race through this chapter verse by verse. That's our pattern here in the Bible Project Daily Podcast to study through the entire Bible chapter by chapter verse by verse. But again these Levitical chapters were taking big chunks of text as we go through Leviticus. My game is to get it done in about a month 27 chapters in certainly under 30 days. So what I want to do is I'm going to run through entire chapter 17, just quickly giving you a quick expositional overview and seeing what we can learn from it. The main thing will be in the second half where we'll see what we can learn and how we can apply the truths underlined here in our Christian life. So this chapter opens up by telling us, and the Lord spoke to Moses. That's Leviticus 17, Verse 1. So the chapter begins with the Lord addressing Moses again, emphasizing that use of the phrase is used always to emphasize that what follows is of some great importance, and that what is going to be communicated to Moses must then be communicated by him to the Israelite people. This highlights the divine origin, the significance of the regulations to follow are actually coming from the Lord God himself. So what are his instructions? Verse 2, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. 
So God here is instructing Moses to convey the message that he's about to give him, not only to the priests, that's who Aaron and his sons represent, but also onto the entire community of Israel. This inclusivity of this message underscores the collective responsibility of the people in obeying all of the commandments that God gives them. Verse 3, it says, is, If anyone of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from his people. So here it's giving a prohibition on individuals choosing to slaughter certain animals, even within or outside the camp, rather than at the tabernacle itself. The camp is the place within which the tabernacle is placed, and within that is the Holy of Holies, and in there the very presence of God is located. So this regulation establishes the central importance of the tabernacle in the Israelites' worship system. And then these verses underscore the importance of always offering sacrifices to God at the tabernacle itself. Failing to do so will result in something called blood guilt, highlighting the significance of atonement and forgiveness must always and needs to come through the adherence of a proper constituted sacrifice. The threat of being cut off from the community implies being spiritually separated from that community, thereby emphasizing the importance of the obedience of God to these commands and how important they are in maintaining an individual's relationship, not only between himself and the community, but between himself and God. The text continues in verse 5. To the end that the people of Israel may bring sacrifices, that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. So this verse provides the purpose of this regulations, is to ensure that people always bring their sacrifices to the tabernacle to form proper offerings to the Lord. The sacrifices are described here as peace offerings, which signifies the peace and reconciliation with God that they bring. But the tabernacle is the place of worship, the place where those sacrifices are to take place, and it's central to this ongoing relationship between God and his people. Verse 6 then says, And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So again, we're seeing a description of the sacrifice itself done by the priest. And the image again of the pleasing aroma to the Lord is just meant to signify that these offerings are acceptable to the Lord when performed correctly and importantly with the right attitude. Verse 7 is an interesting verse. They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols to whom they prostitute themselves. This is to be a lasting ordinance for them and the generations to come. So here we have a highlight to create a contrast between the proper sacrifices being made to the Lord and what are an insight into here to the pagan practices in the tribes around them. Uh, the sacrificing to false idols also, often these sacrifices would be associated with immorality, 
In other words, prostituting themselves is the phrase used. And then finally it tells us that this command is not temporary, but is meant to be followed through the subsequent generations, emphasizing the continuing, enduring importance of worship being done in a proper manner. It seems that there was always a danger of infiltration. In fact, it's revealed to us that some of the Israelite nations continued to worship the Egyptian deities, even after they'd come out of Egypt, for many generations. There are hints to that found in Joshua chapter 24. And this is saying that this is the command, and this is not what they do in taking on such practices of those around them. And clearly, there was the issue of sacrificing to an idol of a goat in the area that they were based. Now, by the way, the goat is still seen as a dynamic symbol. It's a symbol of Satan worship even to this day. So the penalty here is severe because he's trying to teach the people not to follow the ways of the pagans around them, but to follow his commands about offering sacrifices in a proper way and never offering sacrifices to other idols and other gods. Verse 8 then says, And you shall say to them, Any one of the house of Israel, or the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt sacrifice to the Lord, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. So here these verses focus on to those who can offer burnt offerings or other sacrifices. So it's saying it's not only includes the Israelites, but this must include the foreigners living amongst them. Saying this reflects God's desire for all those who dwell with his people to participate in proper worship and have a proper relationship with him. Again, emphasizing the central location of sacrifice taking place around the tabernacle. Those who do not follow this command, whether they be Israelites or sojourners in the land with them, are all subject to potentially being cut off from the community, again highlighting the seriousness of this situation. Verse 10, if any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from amongst his people. Again, the verse is underscoring this prohibition against consuming blood. Now, again, bear in mind that this was a common pagan practice in the land in which they'd entered. And again, it reveals God's strong disapproval of any actions that are mirroring the actions of the pagan and the worship of foreign gods and false idols. God reveals his strong disapproval of such actions and the consequences of disobedience, again cutting off, again implying separation, not just physical, but spiritual separation from the community of people and from God himself. And then the explanation follows in verse 11, for the life of a creature is in the blood. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Now this is a pivotal verse, a little bit tricky to unpack, but in this verse we see an something that explains the deep theological significance of blood in the Israelite sacrificial system. The sacrificed animal, the life of that animal was believed to have been in the blood, and the shedding of that blood was the way that God ordained that it was through the blood sacrifice that the means of atonement was achieved. 
The shedding of blood represents the giving of a life to God, symbolizing the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with him. And of course, this concept has profound connections to our Christian faith as it foreshadows the ultimate atonement through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Again, a ver explanation of that. Verse 12 says, Therefore I have said to my people, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who lives among you eat blood either. So this verse reiterates the commandment regarding the disallowing of consuming blood for food both for the Israelites and for any strangers dwelling among them. It emphasizes the universality of this prohibition and the importance of following God's law regarding blood because it needs to be set apart on a higher level as recognizing the life given up in atonement for sin. Verse 13, And any one of the people of Israel or the strangers who live amongst them, who take in any or hunt any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with the earth. So this verse prescribes the proper handling of the blood of any animal that is going to be consumed for food. Again, reinforcing the prohibition about consuming, eating or drinking the blood itself. It ensures the blood is repeated with respect and it is poured out on the earth and then covered with the earth. And again, the explanation, verse 14, for the life of every creature is in the blood. Its blood is in its life. Therefore, I said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of every creature in its blood. And whoever does so will be cut off. Okay, a couple of observations there. Firstly, do you know what the Jehovah's Witnesses do with this? Well, they take this passage and say you can never have a blood transfusion. But would this really apply to a blood transfusion? I don't think so. I cannot. It's talking about the rules for consummation of an animal for food. At any rate, that's what they choose to do with it. But if you want a really interesting twist in this chapter, you should then, from a New Testament perspective, read and apply John chapter 6. Jesus there is said that the blood, it is his blood, his blood that gives eternal life, and he commanded the disciples there to drink it. Now, in the case, of course, he's not saying literally drinking it, but he's saying he's using it as a metaphor for appropriating him and his sacrifice as a means by which they might and we might receive salvation. But in terms of the way it's being applied here in Leviticus, it's just issuing rules that, in a sense, respect the life of the animal that is about to be consumed. The children of Israel were being instructed. Now remember, the eating of meat would have been fairly rare except around the sacrificial system. And the children of Israel were reminded if they were to kill an edible animal before eating it as a way of offering a sort of a peace offering for the taking of that life and accepting it that it had lay, in a sense laid down its life for their sustenance, then the offering a sacrificial part of it because it wasn't at the tabernacle was to pour out the blood in this way. And they were ordered to do that quite strictly under threat of being cut off. So this verse reiterates the central frame that the life of a creature is in the blood. And the command against consuming blood is a command by which people are able to respect and acknowledge, first of all, the sacredness of all life as a gift from God and that it should be treated with respect. So once again, disobedience carries the penalty of being cut off not only from the people, but from God himself.
And in verse 15, And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes, bathe himself in water, and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. And then this verse addresses the strange issue of perhaps eating animals that have died naturally or have been torn by wild beasts. In other words, it did not entail the shedding of the blood. They hadn't done it themselves. There wasn't a sacrifice made. They didn't take the knife to the animal. But it pertains to the consumption of what are you may re refer to as sort of naturally or improperly killed animals. Those that do so, after handling them, they were required to wash their clothes and bathe, signifying the restoration of ritual purity after the defilement of handling a dead animal. But it's ritual purity it's dealing with, not inherent sin. Verse 16, But if he does not wash or bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. So again, the verse is emphasizing personal responsibility to do things personally in the correct way. And failure to adhere to the purification processes, remember this is in relation to ritual cleanliness, well, failure to do that leads to bearing the consequences of one's actions. The pattern being revealed here, it shows the importance of repentance following any prescribed failure to follow the purification rituals. Okay, that's the text. What do we do with all of that? Well, when you stand back from it and take a running look at it, people had to eat and drink every day, didn't they? So what I think this chapter is really talking about at heart is about the everyday things that people do every day, such as killing meat for food, such as offering sacrifices, making sure that was done nowhere else other than at the tabernacle. And in each of these cases, the Lord is saying, as you simply do these daily things, the Lord wants us to remember him. So if they killed animals for food, then they, they had to acknowledge that it was an appropriate sacrifice that had been made. In other words, for us, I believe it just means that when we eat, we should always remember the Lord. Remember that the Lord has provided for us. The Lord is saying, through these everyday actions, I want you to continually remember me. And what I'm suggesting here is by laying them down in this way for the ancient Israelites, in these chapters in this way, then God was instilling these things in such a way that they would become habitual habits. Whatever you do on a regular daily basis, it's very easy to fall in the trap of not thinking about it. A bit like when you first learn to drive. You don't have to think about that now. It becomes automatic. So I'm suggesting here that the principle being laid down here is God trying to implant in our minds the fact that the everyday act and reactions of life should, in a sense, create appropriate habits. We should develop these kind of habits. So the question then is for us in the New Testament context is have we done that? Do we have such habits? Every time you eat, do you think of the Lord? That's a simple thing, but straightforward enough, isn't it? Perhaps even the Lord's Supper itself. The very fact that that event was created around a meal should make every time we eat, we should think of the Lord's Supper and what he sacrificed to give himself for us. I think that's the whole point here. He took these things, all these things that the people would ordinarily be doing several times a day, and he simply said by setting up these ritualized things, 
he was saying to them, Remember me. Don't forget me. Every time you see bread, every time you pick up a cup, it should remind you of me. And that's the kind of thing I think the habit that God is trying to create amongst his people. Just think about me all the time, the Lord is saying. Every time you want something, every time you do something, I want to be constantly with you in your life. But there are other applications of this chapter, I believe, for us today. And I'd like to round off today's study by offering you examples of what I think this is meant to do for us and how it can be applied. Of course, the core message of Leviticus chapter 17, we can't avoid it, is the fact that it's emphasizing the sanctity of blood and the importance of offering sacrifices, in this case at the tabernacle. Now, while the ceremonial aspects of the Levitical law are no longer binding for Christians, there are some profound spiritual lessons and principles that we can apply from it today. And I'd like to close by giving you five principles that I think arise out of this chapter. Firstly, that we see atonement is through sacrifice. And in our case, atonement is through Christ's blood sacrificed. Just as we see the Israelites bringing animal sacrifices to atone for their sins, as Christians, we believe in the ultimate single one-off atonement through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross, symbolized by the phrase, the blood of Christ. The Passover lamb, originally protected the Israelites from the angel of death when it passed over in Exodus chapter 12. But of course, this foreshadows Jesus as the Lamb of God. Ephesians 2 verse 13 tells us, But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Secondly, I think that the principle of proper worship and sacrifice is revealed. Of course, as Christians, we no longer offer animal sacrifices, but there are reminders of the importance of approaching God through a proper, regular way of worship. Obedience, surrender to God, but importantly, in our daily lives. As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we are present our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. The third principle I believe arises out of this chapter is that of repentance, bringing about forgiveness. Leviticus teaches the necessity of ongoing continual repentance and that being the way by which we have atonement for forgiveness. In Christianity, by coming to God in true repentance and faith in Christ, sacrifice it is that which brings us access to that forgiveness of god the parable of the prodigal son found in luke chapter 15 exemplifies god's forgiveness for anyone when they repent and return to him and 1 john 1 verse 9 reminds us that if we confess our sins he is always faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness the fourth principle I think this passage reveals to us is the fact that as believers, we are to be separate from the worldly practices around it. God here is seen to command them to avoid consuming blood and participating in any pagan practices and the sacrifices that are done in the tribes and communities around them and calls them to be distinctive, different. But I think this also reminds us as Christians of our call to be distinct from the world and not to partake 
in the sinful behaviors that we see around us, the things that are accepted as normal. Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 are specifically called to come out from among the people and be separate. And Paul reminds us in Romans not to be conformed to the likeness of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then finally, the fifth principle revealed here in the Levitical laws is that the overarching fact that all of this exists to bring about reconciliation, spiritual reconciliation with the God of creation who created it. And the concept of atonement through blood recognizes the reconciliation of humanity to God. That is the way that this reconciliation and peace is brought. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 tells us, For he himself is our peace, who he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between us and God. So, in conclusion, well, let me say first of all, the Levitical laws, of course, no longer bind Christians. The principles here revealed in Leviticus chapter 17, yes, it underlines and underscores principles, particularly that around the sanctity of life, the importance of proper worship, the need for repentance and forgiveness, and the call to live in the world but not be of it. And these principles first revealed here resonate and are expanded and explained completely to the point of perfection with the teaching of Jesus and the New Testament and the New Covenant, guiding believers towards a deeper understanding, not only of their faith, but also that we might have a more meaningful, purposeful relationship with God. Simply said, if we develop habits, holy habits if you like, aligned to these Levitical principles, they will not only benefit us, because God will bless us in this life and he will reward us for living in this way in the life to come. So simply, friends, if you want to apply Leviticus chapter 17 in your life, well, simply remember every time you do anything, remember the Lord. Every time you do everything routine, every time you eat, every time you worship, every time you pray, remember the Lord in all these things and that way you'll find a path to holiness. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. The whole purpose of this ministry is to equip the saints for works of service by enabling people to make the decision for the in-depth study and understanding of the Bible. And that's why we're going through it together, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's a huge commitment, but it's really worth making. You're free to do this at whatever pace that suits you. If you've just joined us today, you can click on the subscribe button that way you'll never miss another single episode. But why not go back to the very beginning, season one, where I give an overview of the whole Bible book by book, and then we launch off alternatively Old and New Testament books and work our way through together. We're two and a half years into what I believe will be a 10-year plan, Lord willing. And if you want to access 
a deeper understanding of these passages I'm looking at, then I always do an episode notes page about a 600 word summary of the main principles of what's said, and I even put a full transcript of the text of what I've said. These resources are always there free and freely available for you to use. The purpose of this is to encourage you and to equip you. So the free and freely available, copyright free, take them and use them in whatever way you want in your personal study or even in your preparing stuff for small groups or even preaching. All those resources are always free and always freely available. And I'm able to do it this way because of that group of people who've decided to make a decision to support this work through places like Patreon. So if you want to visit me where the podcast is hosted, which is the Bible Project at Buzzsprout.com, you'll find links there where you can access those free additional resources and others, literally structured formal discipleship courses on places like LinkedIn and YouTube, but also places where you can support the ministry financially. Your priority should always be your home church, but it's without those people, the word of God would not be being made so widely available in this way. So thanks to them. Now, there are various ways you can support the ministry, but the best one is Patreon. And I simply say that because that's the place where I put my bonus content. That's the place where you can enter into a communication with me through the messaging system. The other methods you can just like on Buzzsprout or buy me a coffee, by all means you can make a financial gift, but it doesn't open up that line of becoming part of a community. Anyway, having said all that, the bottom line is just thank you for being here. Thank you for making the decision to make the study of the Word of God part of your life and joining me in this process. And I do hope I'll see you back here again on whatever day works for you as we continue our journey through the entire Bible. Bye-bye for now.